I don't know that I've ever done a, a series before that's actually affected me personally as much as this one has. It's been great. Like, I want it to just last forever. Upside is, as heaven does last forever. So, but the, the series on it won't. But um, let's pray and let's ask for the Holy Spirit to, to guide us and to guide our words today. And, uh, Father, would you, would you become a part of our conversation as we, uh, as we begin this journey of, of heaven and, and, and learning and for your words to become alive inside of us, not just an academic exercise, but a Holy Spirit reality inside of each of us. Speak to our hearts today, Lord. Speak to us in Jesus' name. We we pray. Amen. Mr. Clark? Oh, hey there. How you boys holding up? We're in mourning. Man, these aren't real nilla wafers. We were wondering if you had time to talk. We have some questions. A lot of questions. So you know how in Cosmos, Carl Sagan talks about other dimensions, like beyond our world? Yeah, sure. Theoretically. Right, theoretically. So, theoretically, how do we travel there? You guys have been thinking about Hugh Everett's many worlds interpretation, haven't you? So basically, there are parallel universes, just like our world, but just infinite variations of it. Which means there's a world out there where none of this tragic stuff ever happened. Yeah, that's not what we're talking about. Oh. We were thinking of more of an evil dimension, like the Veil of Shadows. You know the Veil of Shadows? Echo of the material plane where necrotic and shadow magic. Yeah, exactly. If that did exist, a place like the Veil of Shadows, how would we travel there? Theoretically. Well. Picture an acrobat standing on a tightrope. And the tightrope is our dimension. And our dimension has rules. You can move forwards or backwards. But what if right next to our acrobat, there is a flea? Now, the flea can also travel back and forth, just like the acrobat, right? Right. Yeah. Here's where things get really interesting. The flea can also travel this way, along the side of the rope. He can even go underneath the rope. Upside down. down. Exactly. But we're not the flea, we're the acrobat. In this metaphor, yes, we're the acrobat. So we can't go upside down? No. Well, is there any way for the acrobat to get to the upside down? Well, you'd have to create a massive amount of energy, more than humans are currently capable of creating, mind you, to open up some kind of tear in time and space. And then... You create a doorway. Like a gate? Sure, like a gate. But again, this is all... Theoretical. But, but what if this gate already existed? Well, if it did, I, I think we'd know. It would disrupt gravity, the magnetic field, our environment. Heck, it might even swallow us up whole. Science is neat, but I'm afraid it's not very forgiving. Isn't it much more fun with Spanish subtitles? <laughs> Okay, shoot me real straight. Be honest with me. How many have actually seen the, the series Stranger Things? Okay. By the way, much more of you in second service than first because it seems like the older people were like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I shared that with you this morning uh, actually for a very specific reason because that science fiction, 
But it's based, the idea is based on an actual scientific theory. It's called string theory. And string theory is basically, a, it's, it's a relatively new science. I should have just Derek John come up here and explain it. But, but the bottom line is that quantum mechanics and gravity don't work together. And so they've created this idea called string theory that will make them work together. The really large and the little, really small somehow don't operate on the same rules. So what's happened in string theory is this idea that I swear to you, real life scientists, not just ones that got out of the pub, okay, like real ones, believe in this idea and that that would mean that there would be alternate realities, alternate dimensions, universes. Okay, are you following me? Has anybody sprained your brain yet? This is a scientific theory. And this show is based on the idea that these kids had somehow stumbled into this other, other they called it the upside down world. Okay? You following me? And in this upside down world, all these evil things are happening and there's no way to get between the two. By the way, uh, physicists who uh, have commented on the show say that the flea idea is a good one, but it shouldn't be a rope. It would be better if it were like two pieces of bread together. One piece of bread is one dimension, the other piece is the other dimension. But in between those two dimensions is hummus, because apparently physicists eat hummus sandwiches. I can't think of anything more disgusting, but follow me on this. In between the, the, this bread and this bread is the hummus. There is no way for the flea to get between the hummus unless somebody would take their fingers and pinch a hole in the middle of the sandwich, which they would refer to as a wormhole. Have you ever heard of the word wormhole before? Okay. Now, why on earth are we talking about this? It's a great question. I truly believe that what scientists are knocking on the door of what they're trying to figure out is what the Bible has told us all along, there is another place. There is another world. When Adam and Eve were removed from the garden and pushed into the outside of that world, they couldn't get back in again. But what if it isn't that we're living in the real world and we could accidentally find ourselves in the upside-down world? What if we're already in the upside-down world and what Jesus has come to do was to punch a hole through time and space to bring us from the upside-down world to the real world, the world of heaven, the world of eternity? That's what I believe and that's what I want to share with you this morning. That what he did was way, 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 way more miraculous that being resurrected, which parenthetically is pretty miraculous. We say it here often. If someone comes to you and says, hey, you know what? I'm going to die. I'm going to be brutally murdered, and I'm going to resurrect three days later, and then he does it, you should listen to what he has to say. Amen. Right? So that's already a pretty big deal, but when you think about the idea that God could exists outside of time, exists outside of space. And the reason that Einstein or that Stephen B. Hawking can't figure it out is because eye has not seen, mind has not thought, ear has not heard the great things that he has for us. Christianity is the only religion on the earth where it is a man not trying to get to God. That's every other religion. But in Christianity, what Jesus did was saying, you can't, there's too much hummus among us. And so it was Jesus that poked a hole, so to speak, through time and space and became one of us and will one day again lead us back home. Now, I don't want you to just take my word for it. I brought some friends with me this morning. Unfortunately, I actually couldn't afford their airfare, so I couldn't bring them. But I brought some video stories of 
people, men and women. And by the way, I know we shot our mouth off and said we were going to have a free book for every family. First service, everybody came. Like, we're like, <laughs> which it turns out was a good thing that everybody came first service, right? Because we don't have any room left. But my point is, is that we gave almost all the books away. So I'm, I would like to humbly apologize and uh, say that if you come back next week, we'll have them, we'll order more. We just, as it turns out, uh, James is here because the church has grown, and I just, I did the ordering and didn't think about the fact that the church grew. So this would have been enough last year. <laughs> uh, my point is, everything I'm sharing with you this morning is coming from this book, Imagine Heaven. It, 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 and the only reason I, I chose this is because this is a pastor that has, over the last 30 years, interviewed 1,000 people who have had near-death experiences, which, by the way, isn't as rare as you might think. Gallup says that 200,000 people a year are having these experiences. Over 13 million since it's been recorded. This is Gallup's numbers, not mine. That's one in 20. That means probably one or two of you in here have either had that experience or you know somebody that has. But don't take my word for it. Uh, you're going to hear this morning from Dr. Mary Neal, who's a uh, doctor. She's a spinal uh, surgeon. Uh, these are people that are not like... We chose people that are like a former atheist tenured professor, okay? It's one thing to take my word for it, but take the word from a guy who lost his job, lost his family over this because something happened dramatic enough to make him go, and it was Jesus. And so this is what Mary Neal, Dr. Mary Neal, had to say about her experience. Dr. Mary Neal is an orthopedic surgeon who shares her medical practice and her love for outdoor adventure with her husband, Bill. In 1999, they planned an adventure that took Mary on a spiritual journey few have taken and return to talk about. My husband and I really enjoy kayaking. We enjoy traveling. We speak Spanish. We've traveled internationally a number of times. And so for my husband's birthday, I said, okay, this is the year we're, we're gonna do it. So we went to Chile for a vacation to kayak. After a week of kayaking, Bill sat out the final day with a sore back. Mary and the rest of their group kayaked through a treacherous stretch of the river. These are drops of 10 to 15 feet, 20 feet maybe, which for an experienced kayaker is not a crazy thing. I went over the main drop and as I crested over the drop, I could see the tremendous turbulence and tremendous volume. And as I hit the bottom of the drop, the front end of my boat became pinned. I and my boat were immediately and completely submerged. I was absolutely pressed to the front deck of the boat and I couldn't move my arms even back far enough to reach my spray skirt, let alone push myself out. I very sincerely asked that God's will be done and I meant it. After several minutes of searching, the group leaders realized Mary was trapped under the falls. They came out on the rocks and they kept trying to get to the boat, but the force and the volume of the water was such that they just kept being flushed through. I mean, they just couldn't get to me. At one point, they sort of recognized that it was really turning into body recovery, uh, not so much of a rescue. I know I've been underwater too long to be alive, yet I feel more alive than I've ever felt. And this is more real than anything I've ever experienced. More alive than she's ever felt. The thing that we are supposed to be scared of, that thing that 100% of us in this room will at one point experience, 
my friend Greg Murtha calls it being moved to the front of the line. The thing that we're supposed to be scared of because we're not going to be alive, we are actually more alive than we've ever been, more real than we've ever felt, more loved, more accepted. That's what these, one of the commonalities in the 1,000 interviews that John Burke has done show that that is a part of it. In chapter two of the book, he actually does, which I find to be very helpful because I'm going to tell you, I was a skeptic of near-death experience. I would see what Paul said about, I came back and I, I, I couldn't write of these things. They weren't lawful to write of. and thought, well, then that means nobody can write about them, except I forgot that John did. So as it turns out, I was being a little bit of a fundamentalist without thinking about it. But in that world of being skeptical, what happens is that I'm not alone. There's a lot of doctors out there that are very skeptical. And in chapter two of the book, he interviews doctors that were formerly skeptics who are not skeptical anymore after they've done thorough amount of research. One of them is a guy named Dr. Sabum, who is a cardiologist, and this is what Dr. Sabum wrote. He says, I didn't believe in such a thing as an NDE until I talked to Pete. I asked Pete what exactly he saw, and he described the resuscitation that he experienced with such detail and accuracy that I could have later used the tape to teach physicians. People like Pete Morton saw details they could otherwise have not seen. Another patient that he interviewed noticed the physician was failing to wear scuffs over his shoes during open-heart surgery. And in many cases, I was able to confirm the patient's testimony with medical records and hospital staff afterwards. The guy being operated on realizes that the surgeon doesn't have scuffs on, those covers over their shoes, and he wouldn't have known that any other way. One of my favorite ones uh, came from the, the European Journal of Medicine. Uh, a guy who was being resuscitated... Uh, the nurse realizes he's wearing dentures, and he can't do CPR, so she takes the dentures out. She puts them in the drawer of the crash cart, and they continue CPR. He doesn't regain consciousness in that room, even though they resuscitate him. A week later, after he regains consciousness, he sees the nurse and says, she knows where my dentures are. They're in the third drawer of the crash cart. He didn't know what to call it, but the cart. And sure enough, a week later, they open the drawer, and there are the dentures recorded in the European Journal of Medicine. And by the way, Dr. Sabin's reports were all published. His research was all published in the American Journal of American Medicine, the JAMA, Journal of American Medicine Association. Am I saying that right? Medical people? Later on, a, 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 a radiation oncologist, Dr. Long, would read that study in JAMA and think, this is crazy, this can't be real. So he begins to do his own set of research. And here's his response after researching it on his own. He doesn't want to take Dr. Long's name word for it. He says, by studying thousands of detailed accounts of NDEers, as he calls them, I found that evidence led to this astounding conclusion that the conclusion they provide such powerful scientific evidence that it's reasonable to accept the existence of an afterlife. 59% of doctors, by the way, agree with that statement. By the way, it's nothing new. Acts chapter 14, it talks about Paul who was stoned and not 70s kind of stoned, but murdered. Not Bonnaroo stoned, but like stoned. It says they drug him out of town, dead, and he got back up again and he walked back into town, which is totally crazy, but it's totally Paul. And I think, why would he have walked back into town? Why would he have had the courage? It's like walking back to Mosul in Iraq as a, as a Jesus person. Why would he have done it? I think he tells us in uh, 2 Corinthians 12 
verse 2, he says, I knew a man in Christ who was 14 years ago caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, he says. By the way, that's a, something that happens. It's very common in near-death experiences. They actually feel like they have a body. Like they're often hovering over, but they feel like they're in a body. This is Paul saying, I don't know whether I was in the body or I wasn't in the body. He said he heard things that can't be told, which man may not utter. He would write to the church at Corinth just a few years before that, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable, it's sown in dishonor, raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. You see what he's talking about. It's like we're getting an upgrade to our body. This is like the Mac laptop of 1992 versus the new MacBook Pro that just came out. There's an upgrade that is like, you can't even, they're not the same. He's saying you're going to be sown in, uh, in natural and raised in spirit, sown in weakness, raised in power. And everybody that has expressed that they've had this experience talk about how they could see better than they could ever see how their body felt better than they've ever felt. And I got to tell you, after moving this weekend, which the Tylers have been moving, my body is done with moving. At 45-year-old 40, Darren is, is not as good as 40-year-old Darren. My back, like I sighed when I sat down. When the Bible speaks of our bodies sigh, that actually happens. And you young kids, you can laugh all you want to, but I swear to you, at some point in your life, I prophesy this, you will sit down into your chair and involuntarily, blah, like sigh. <laughs> but we're going to get new bodies. Like it's going to happen. Another thing that they talk about, I want to share this next video, is the beauty. The beauty that is so much more than we could ever grasp on this side of heaven. I've been to Alaska. I've, I've seen things that are like, and you take a picture of it, and you're like, bring it back, and, you, and it, doesn't, it doesn't remotely capture the beauty of it. I believe us in this upside-down world have no idea what's going to be on the other side. It will feel more familiar than foreign, but it will be eye has not seen, mind has not thought, ear has not heard. We just can't possibly comprehend. And that's what Don Piper talks about in this interview. So take us back to that day you saw the 18-wheeler come. What was the next memory you had? Well, I took my last breath on the bridge, and I was, uh, my next breath was at one of the 12 gates of heaven. I'm looking through the gates. I'm looking down the street. There is a river that flows from this, this throne or this hill that's high and lifted up, and I know that's the river of life because we're told that it flows from the throne of God. So uh, many of the things that we know and enjoy and love here uh, are visible there as well. Um, I would say this, and, and um, heaven's never going to be less than this. It's always going to be more. Yeah. In heaven, it's all big. I mean, it, it so far transcends any words that we can happen, that we could come up with here. If you want to talk about uh, uh, meadows and flowers and beauty, and if you want to talk about Did trees. Did you see that? Oh, yes. They're just magnificent, except that they are so brilliant and so vivid as to really defy description. So you live in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, one of the most beautiful places on earth. How did that compare to the, this beautiful path 
leading to heaven? One of the problems that I and most people had when they came back from a near-death experience is that even the most intense beauty here on earth, even the most intense love here on earth is very, very pale in comparison to the intensity of the love and to the intensity of the beauty in God's world. Everything was far more intense. The colors were beyond anything we could ever experience here. No wonder Paul got up and went back into town. People needed to know what he saw. People needed to, it was more real to him than ever. And the beauty of it is, I think something that it captures my heart, that it, I mean, I said it last week, but it's worth repeating. When I was a kid, I thought heaven meant I was going to be in a church service forever. Like, can you imagine? I'm the pastor. That's a terrible idea. But I feel like that we, it's because we've had this un, misunderstanding of what it is, that it's actually, like I said, more familiar than foreign. Like, it will feel more beautiful than ugly. It will, and I think there are things even like when you read Revelation that you think, wow, I, don't, I can't get my mind wrapped around that. That sounds just too weird. Uh, yesterday, we were moving a, a couch, and we got to the love seat part. And, um, and we said, uh, why, why do they call it a love seat, what someone said. And, I was like, well, because you get to be uh, close together, you know, with your significant other. You know, it's a love seat. Uh, and one of the Rojas young men said, uh, call it the awkward seat. Uh, <laughs> and I want you to know, there was a moment in my life where that felt really awkward to me, but then something happened to me. This transformation happened. I'm a huge fan of the love seat now. And I got to believe that when that transformation happens, that whatever Paul describes in Revelation that we think is awkward and weird now, when that transformation, that spiritual puberty, if you will, happens to us, that we'll get on the other side and be like, wow, that's amazing. You know, one of the things that it talks about a lot is this idea of these people, when they talk about um, their experiences, they talk about the relationships that they experience on the other side. That this idea that, uh, that I'm going to meet these people that I've known before. They talk about people that have welcomed him home. And they talk about this love and relationship with Jesus and with others that is so pure and so amazing that we can't even possibly understand it on this side. It's on the side of heaven where the fall has happened, the upside-down world, if you will. There's sin, and so that breaks relationships. It breaks marriages. It breaks down societies. All that stuff we're seeing in the streets and this happening here and this person's mad, it's because it's sin has just broken us down relationally, socially, uh, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. But on the other side, when all of that is removed, the relationships are so profound that, well, let's let Mary explain it to us. You're greeted by this Welcoming Welcome. committee? Yes. What was it? That's what some it people was a talk committee. about. I absolutely knew that they were there to welcome me and greet me and make me feel loved and comfortable. And I also knew that they were there to protect me. And protect you from what? I don't know. But you knew that? I absolutely knew that that was part of it, even though 
I don't know from what they were protecting me. They had physical form. And like humans? They like had honestly. head, arms, legs. They were wearing uh, robes of sort, but they were absolutely exploding with a pure, pure love. And it was as though uh, they were sort of like the northern lights in that they were of a physical form, but the edges were a little indistinct. They were radiating a brilliance that uh, is certainly indescribable. It's sort of translucent, pearlescent, uh, a shimmery, light. a brilliance of light, just exploding in it. And the light was not just something you would see. If you look at the sun, you see light, and it's blinding. This was really a, a light born out of love. I, I don't know quite how else to explain it. So from your, from your experience of these people, these spiritual beings, what are, what are, what's your sense of what relationship is like? Well, that's really clear. Because there is no doubt that the only thing that truly matters is loving God and being a window through which God's light can shine to this world and loving each other. So, I mean, from your experience, you think you will recognize your husband and your kids and... Oh, you mean after... Yeah. Afterward. When, when we're all there. Yes. I absolutely think that people who are important in our life, and I'm not really sure what the right word is, but our life circle, and it may be relatives or it may be people that come into our lives for a very brief period of time and have a profound impact. Those may also be part of our, our life's neighborhood. Yeah. I, I don't know how to describe it, but yes, I do think that we are all still there in heaven. I think that we do recognize each other. I was able to see many, again, people, angels, spirits, I'm not sure, very busy. And I don't know what they were doing. Inside the Inside. Archway. They were all very busy. I don't know what they were doing, but they were doing something and clearly doing God's work. And so was it like a city bustling with light? Yes. Or? It was bustling is a great word for it. I didn't particularly look around because I was focused on what was happening to Were me you immediately. Through, and, through the I, I looked through and could see all this bustling, people bustling about. And when I arrived, there was this momentary acknowledgement and not cheering, but almost like fantastic, welcome. And this, this outpouring of love for me. And again, it was this profound sense of wow, not only do I not deserve this, but it was this profound sense of uh, understanding that that is how each person is created. Mm. I mean, there are billions of us, but that is how much each God loves each special. person. Yes. It's an incredible thought. And by the way, I, I didn't skip the part about that they were protecting her for something. I'm going to cover that in the weeks to come. 
when they're not fully biologically dead, by the way, I believe that every one of these, there's a commonality in their stories, and that is that they got to a point where they couldn't, if they went past that, they couldn't return. And, you know, this is personal opinion. This is First uh, Darren chapter 1. This is not Bible, but I believe that there's a moment where they could go beyond that, that these are, what the Bible said was going to happen. Old men would see uh, dream dreams. Young men would see visions. Or I get that backwards. Um, that we're seeing things on the other side that, and these are, 1,000, and this is just this book is a 1,000 of them of the hundreds of thousands that have happened all over the world. And one thing that is also common in what they say is that they, they are emanating light. You know, where would they get that idea? But that's what Mary looked on a city in Revelation 21. John looked on a city, and he said that light came out from the throne. Light came out from Jesus. Daniel, the prophet, said that light would come out of us when he said that those who are resurrected would come alive and that it would shine like the stars. Do you remember that? Another thing that's common in this is this idea of a life review. Now, by the way, every altar call in the 70s or 80s that I saw when they started talking about that, you're going to watch this movie of your life and it's going to be awful. And it would have been awful if it's a movie like everybody's watching all the dumb stuff that I did. But that isn't I don't believe what 2 Corinthians is talking about when it talks about the idea of your bad works, whatever, are burned. And my brother-in-law, Carrie, is building a house out in the country, and so they cleared a bunch of brush, and they burned it. Not out of cruelty, but to make room for the good. And so when we get to this point, I'm going to share with you this next video from a guy named Howard, who was a, an atheist, tenured professor who had this experience and his, by the way, didn't go all positive, and we'll talk about that, like I said, in the coming weeks here. But when he talks about the life review, what I'm really intrigued with was what Jesus was really concerned about. The stuff that I'm concerned about, the stuff that you woke up concerned about this morning, the stuff that your Facebook feed is concerned about, cross-reference that with what Howard has to say about what Jesus was concerned about. Howard, tell us about this life review that you had. There was a number of angels, I call them angels, who had been recording my entire life, all my life, and Jesus wanted them to play out in chronological order the scenes of my life. And the entire emphasis was on my interaction with other people, of course, initially starting out with my mother and father and my sisters and then, you know, school and friends and um, so you just, you saw it or you we saw it, experienced it? We felt it. it, we experienced it. It was really interesting because it was, um, the whole emphasis was on people and not on things. Matter of fact, there were some instances where um, I had uh, won promotions, honors, awards, and they skipped them. And Jesus, I said to Jesus, uh, you're skipping the most important thing in my life. This is what I live for to get this award, Kentucky Artist of the Year big banquet in my honor and a big cash prize and everything. And uh, he said, that's not what we're here for you to see. That's not important. What I want you to see is how you treated the students. So what I learned in my life review was that um, the um, relationship with my father, I had participated in the breakdown of that relationship as much as he did. He was not a good father to me, and I resented it, and I was angry at him, so I did everything I could subconsciously and sometimes consciously to be as rebellious and as cold-hearted towards him as possible, which only aggravated him more and made him more of a hostile father. So 
the things that I had seen in my life that where I was the victim and everybody else was the bad guy, I came to find out. Um, it was a two-way street. We were both the plain skin. As my life progressed from my adolescence into my adulthood, I saw myself turning completely away from God, church, all that, and becoming um, a person who decided that life was all about um, the biggest, baddest bear in the woods wins. And now I began to experience Jesus and the angels' literal pain. What do you mean? Emotional pain with watching scenes in my life. And like, here's the nicest, kindest, most loving being I've ever met who I realize is my Lord, my Savior, even my Creator, holding me and supporting me, trying to um, give me more understanding of my life. And it was figuratively, not literally, like I was like stabbing him in the heart as we're watching this stuff. And the last thing I wanted to do was to hurt him. And I don't want to hurt him to this day. Uh, Jesus is a very feeling man. God is a very feeling creator. What were you seeing played out? I saw scenes where um, my sister was in bed crying and I got up in the middle of the night and went in and put my arms around her and hugged her. And Jesus and the angels were so filled with joy that I had been willing to do that, to try and um, you know, help her a little Comfort bit her. in her grief. But those were rare, the, uh, the scenes of my indifference. Just seeing, seeing people as objects in order to maneuver around through or you know, to shift to further my, my goals and my ambitions. We did go through a life review and it was nothing like I would have imagined. What, what my, was the life review like? My life was laid bare for all its good and bad. And one of the things we did was look at many, many, many events throughout my life that I would have otherwise called terrible or horrible or sad or bad or tragic. And instead of looking at an event in isolation or looking at how it impacted me and my little world, I had the most remarkable experience of seeing the ripple effects of the event when seen 25, 30, 35 times removed. It's an incredible thought that I take hope from this because those little things that you've done for other people, you didn't think anybody ever noticed or anybody saw it. He noticed and he saw it. When I was in Israel in November, I really felt like God was telling me the words, go big on small. <coughs> that the bigness is, this is, that's not what he's called us to do, go big on small. And that in God's economy, that the ability for us to love each other first, to love our children, to invest in them. And if that's the only thing, I remember a long time ago, I was blessed to get to uh, hang out for a morning with Paul Young, who wrote The Shack. And I remember he told me that the only people he ever wanted to read that book were his children. He wrote it for his children. He had no idea, as he was rushing to Kinko's on Christmas Eve to try to get it done in time for Christmas, that it would become what it was. But my point is, is that was all that huge thing, but that's not how it started. And in our lives, our children, our, our loved ones, our friends, our, our circles, 
if I can think of any word for us at all, go big on small with what's right in front of you. I want to share one more with you this morning. And I shared it last week, but I want to share it again because I want you to know that the guy, this Captain Dale Black, is like a TWA pilot, okay? He is started multi-million dollar businesses, okay? He has a PhD. And I say that because when he talks and he starts crying, you might think, well, this guy's just a kook. But he's not. This is a man that but what he saw was so impacting to him that I've, I've found several interviews with him, and every one of them, he does the exact same thing. When he starts talking about Jesus, he begins to cry and to weep. And there's a promise for that in us, in that the prize on the other side isn't the mansions, it isn't the beauty, it's, it's Jesus. That that is the highlight of every one of the NDE experiences when they see this white man, this clothed in white, you don't say he's a white man, you say he's a man, clothed in white, emanating light, that he is the one that is the prize for, and which Mary said billions of people, but everyone is welcomed the same, which is an incredible thought. But listen to what Captain Dale Black says about his experience. Did you, did you see Jesus? Later, I did. That was the last thing that happened after going through the city and asking questions and going through at the very last moment, I had been ushered closer and closer toward the light, toward the light, toward the light. The light that's in the center, center of the city. Yeah, and then there was a stairway that was near the glass sea which it looked like a sea and a stairway that went up and a large angel with the most uh, power, if we would say that. And it was clear that he was basically in charge of that stairway. And uh, I be just began to communicate uh, to this angel heart to heart. Again, it's hard to say, did we talk? It seemed like it, but then it seemed like we didn't. This communication was was just impeccably pure. And I began to recognize, I can't go up there. I can't go up. I, I can't go up and still go back. And I was thinking, go back. Go back? What, what, what do we mean? What's that mean? And as soon as I'm thinking, go back, the angel moved just to the side. But I looked into the eyes of the warmest, kindness, most wonderful. I knew this was the Son of God. I knew this was my Savior. And all of a sudden, my knees buckled. My legs lost their strength. And I just went down. I couldn't stand. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was not worthy to... I was not worthy to stand in His presence. Funny that I didn't feel worthy to be in heaven, yet I knew I was worthy in the early part. I was somehow given this, granted this authority, but I had this supernatural uh, gift that I was worthy. Somebody had done something for me. He had. Yes. And so I'm down on my, just falling down, and I see his feet, and I grab them, and I hold his feet, and I see the scars. And I know this is the Son of God. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. It is because of Him. He died for everybody. It's so cool because the Bible even says, no, I take that back. Jesus said that uh, I have come not to condemn the world, 
but that the world through me will be saved. And it was because of that. He was, he's not condemning anybody. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life, what sins you've done, including murder. It doesn't matter what you've done. All of it is, is forgivable. God can forgive anybody of anything. And then we have this free gift that we call salvation. You and I know about it. And that's it. what you felt and at his of feet. Course, like. I just, but to describe this experience, I just stopped at his feet and, and I was worshiping him in, down on the ground there. And I f heard the voice, Dale, do you love me? <laughs> That's it. Do you love me? Mm. And I'm trying to think of all these words to say. And I'm getting ready to say, in a sense, I'm getting ready to say, but I've said nothing. And I'm getting ready to say, of course I love you, Lord. I remember who you are and what you do. I'm getting ready to say that. And he bends down and whispers into my ear. And I'm now back. Do you love me? It's the most important question we could ponder today as we leave. The Lord, I believe, asks that of you. He asks it of me. He asked it of Peter. Do you love me? John 21. And Peter said, yeah, I do. And he said it again. Do you love me? And Peter, remember this. He gets so frustrated. Like, God, you know I love you. And we wonder why would you, I wonder, Jesus, that's kind of harsh, man. <laughs> why would you keep doing that? But it's because in the language they were speaking, in Greek language, which it was written, he says, do you agape love me, Peter? And Peter says, I phileo love you. I buddy, you're my friend, you're my bro. But you know what? Even with that, that amount of love, like I, I'm, because it was honest, it was a moment where he said, this is all I've got, and I'm giving it to you. This is it. And I believe that in Jesus' mind and heart, he says, all right, I can work with that. We can start with that. Feed my sheep. That it was enough. Maybe this was the first time in Peter's life he had ever been honest. I don't know. Seemed like he kept shooting his mouth off before Jesus resurrected, right? I'll die for you, all this for you. All, you know, none of that was true. It was all crock. But in that moment, he said, man, this is all I got. Will you take it? And today, I would be remiss to not ask you this morning, do you love him? Do you understand that if 60% of doctors in America right now, that people like a tenured atheist professor, he lost his wife, he lost his job. Paul literally goes back into town. They saw something that impacted him so powerfully, that was so real, that it changed their lives forever. Do you love him? Would you stand to your feet with me? I want to pray for you, but what I would like for you to consider and to ponder in your heart is that he doesn't ask you for anything. There, Jesus has no needs. God has nothing that he needs. He has everything. There's only one thing he doesn't have, and that's you unless you give it to him. That's the only thing he asks is just the God of the universe who would go to all this trouble to punch a hole through time and space to rescue you from the upside-down world. And it's true that if you don't want to and you don't want God, he will give you what he wants. He's not going to force himself on you. But as I pray this morning, and you're not really sure how this is going to work out for you on the other side. 
if you're moved to first in line, if you're not really sure how it will play out for you. As I'm praying for you, I would ask where you are to do some praying, praying, praying yourself. You're like, I don't know how to pray. Lord, help me. That's a prayer. Lord, save me. That's a prayer. Lord, I want to know. That's a prayer. So as I'm praying what's on my heart and praying for you, if you're not real sure where you stand with the Lord, you can be sure right now just praying to him and saying, Lord, save me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, what, what he's putting on your heart to say, just say it where you're sitting and, and you want to know more about that, I'll, I'll be right out on that back door. I'd be glad to pray with you and, and hug you. And I know there are many others that will join me in that as well. But as I'm praying for you, for the rest of you that maybe you know where you're sure on the other side, but you're unsure on this side, when my eyes are on this kingdom and on this world that gets me freaked out and gets me messed up and I'm stressed out, but when my eyes are on the kingdom that is the real world, remainder, we're on the upside down world, it's always going to be a little uncomfortable until Jesus comes, rescues us out, and sets all things right, which I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to talk about that next week. Jesus, would you make that real inside of us today? For my brothers and sisters that are, that are here that they're not sure, Lord, I know that you want to have that real life connection with them. And I pray that you'll give them the courage to, to speak up and, and to cry out upon you, that your Holy Spirit is there drawing each and every one just waiting for us to say yes or waiting for us to say no. And for the rest, Lord, that we've had that relationship with you, but would you allow us today to, Colossians 3, 2, to keep our mind on higher things, a command from you to imagine heaven, that we might follow that command today. That as our mind gets torn in one way or the other, that we would make a discipline out of imagining heaven. The, the kind of change in our life that'll make us go right back into where you called us to be, to say the things you've called us to say, to be the things you've called us to be, knowing that we are not of this world. Of course we're not going to feel at home here. The USA might be on our passport, but eternity is written on our hearts. We give ourselves to you today, Lord, imagining heaven, knowing that one day it will be more real than even the real on this side. And until that day, we long for that day that we get to be with you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, I hope that this helps you in imagining heaven. We're going to do this a couple more times. Actually, next week, Joe Beam is going to be here. Uh, it's almost Valentine's Day, so we're going to bring Joe Beam, who is like the Batman of broken marriage. This guy is no fooling around, loves the Lord, uh, is going to talk to us about, uh, if, you haven't, if you don't know who Joe is, I, I feel sorry for you. He'll be here next week. Uh, and then we'll continue to talk about heaven in those weeks after. So.